This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, sons and daughters, people who are still arguing if Star Wars or Star Trek is the better Father's Day movie to watch. Can't imagine which side of that fence you're on, Steve. Yeah, that's right. Because, but not Die Hard or Lethal Weapon, because everyone knows they are Christmas movies, right? <laughs> Excellent. All the dads in the room know the truth. Okay. Yes. Oh. Avon was my hero. And I used to steal my mum's um, hairdryer. Because I like with the wires, with like curling tong, wasn't it? There you go. Anyway, um, today's the day when we honour those men who taught us so much, our father figures and our fathers. They taught us things like how not to burn burgers on the barbecue, or that duct tape indeed can fix anything, or the quickest way to get anywhere is not to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> and the best jokes, of course, are dad's jokes. There were two little boys who were constantly getting into trouble. They were known all over town for their mischief. And one day, their, dis- their father decided it was high time to take them in hand, take them to the pastor for some moral instruction. So he thought, if anyone can set these two straight, it's the man upstairs. So the pastor took the youngest boy into his office, sat him down and said to him sternly, young man, do you know where God is? And the little boy, overwhelmed by the seriousness of the pastor's demeanour and tone, began to tremble. And he said nothing. And the pastor repeated louder, Where is God? At which point the boy panics. He runs out of the room. He runs down the street. He finds his brother and said, Brother, we're in trouble. God's gone missing and they're blaming us. (laughs) So if you're joining us today for the first time online or in the room... Listening to a podcast at Christmas, you are very welcome. This is episode 118 of our series, The Promise and the Purpose, reading the whole Gospel of Luke together. Today we're in Luke chapter 19, and in Jerusalem it is Palm Sunday. Luke 19, our verse for today goes like this, starting at verse, uh, verse 28. And when he had said these things, talking about Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into that village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. To those two who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying our colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And then they brought it to Jesus. 
and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it, and he rode along. And they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we set our hearts and our minds before you. Help us to focus on you and your word for the next few minutes. Teach us, Lord, what we need to know in order to walk with you faithfully in the week ahead. Amen. 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 Okay, let's just start with a little bit of context. Remember the three C's of understanding your Bible? You've got context, comparison, and covenant. Yeah, what's the covenant that, you're, that this scripture is applying to? If it's, the, if it's the Old Testament covenant, you know that the sheep are safe. We don't need to bring them to Hope Church. You've got a, a comparison. Yeah, the Bible interprets itself. Yeah, you find other parts of the Bible that are saying the same thing, then you know you're not going off on a tangent. And context, understand what's going on rather than just reading a verse in isolation. And that's kind of one of the main ideas behind this long series, because we're reading everything in context, what has just come before. And we start with a context statement, because Jesus, the, the verse starts, and when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So what are these things? We need to understand what these things were that Jesus had been saying to understand what comes in the verses that follow. So taking a high-level view, yeah, we're in Luke chapter 19. Go back to Luke 17, I think is where this theme starts. And Jesus starts talking about that the kingdom of God is coming. The Son of God will come like lightning that you cannot avoid seeing him. <clears throat> but not yet, is what Jesus said. And then in Luke 18, Jesus is in Jericho. And God is hearing the cry of the oppressed. And he says that he will come. So repent while there is still time. Come to God like a child. Don't let anything in your life become an idol that gets in the way of your relationship with God. Keep God as your first love. Remember, there's a story about a rich young ruler who just couldn't give up his wealth despite doing everything else the Lord demanded. And then at the start of Luke chapter 19, still in Jericho, Zacchaeus, another rich authority figure, but this time Zacchaeus is willing to give up his wealth in repentance, and Jesus declares him saved. And last week, Sue shared with us the parable of the ten miners. Again, talking about the coming kingdom and how the king's people should be behaving while we await his return, and that there is judgment and reward waiting for us based on how we use or squander the resources the king has given us as stewards of. And compare that idea with how Zacchaeus managed what he'd been given and how the rich young ruler managed what he'd been given. So with all these things in mind, let's continue with Jesus along the ancient Roman road, linking Jericho with Jerusalem. So the journey from Jericho to Jerusalem is about 30 kilometres but it rises more than 1,000 metres, as Sue said last week. Jericho itself lies about 250 metres below sea level. 
So it's a long, old, steep climb to the top of the mountain where Jerusalem sits. And that's quite a hike in anyone's books. I think even Quiddy would take a picnic on that walk. <laughs> and don't forget this 30-mile hike, rising a kilometre into the sky, comes at the end of a walking journey that started all the way back in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus set out for Jerusalem, or as we called it, April 2022. <laughs> That's when we were in Luke chapter 9. Um, here's a little video I made to give us some idea of the scale of the journey Jesus um, was undertaking. So I just sent my drone up really high to get a, get a good picture of this one. Now, I'll have to talk you through it, because it turns out I used the wrong colour line. So it doesn't show up on the map when it's, not, when it's too small. But if you can see, there's, there's a sea at the top, and there's a sea at the bottom. Because Jesus started at the top of the sea at the top in Capernaum. And he went, he went down out into, um, uh, what's that place called? Samaria. Yeah, Samaria. He went. And then he went back down the Jordan um, down the Jordan Valley, almost to the Dead Sea at the bottom, and he hooked a left through Jericho and up to Jerusalem. So that is about, from the start in Capernaum, including the detour into Samaria, down to Jericho, it's about 170 kilometres. Right? That's quite a walk. Yeah? And he didn't actually start two Aprils ago. You know, <laughs> We were going slower than Jesus. But to give you some context, if you were to walk 170 kilometres from here, that would take you to the far east end of London. It would take you to Nottingham. It would take you to Wrexham to go watch uh, Ryan Reynolds play football. Um, it would take you down to Exeter or all the way to Brighton. So that's the, kind of the, the scale of the, the journey. But he wasn't walking through England's green and pleasant pastures. He was walking walk through desert. Quite a long way. And this wasn't the first time Jesus would have made this journey. He and most of his friends and family would have tried to make this journey many times in their lives in order to be in Jerusalem for Passover. Now, the ancient writer Josephus said that Jerusalem would be rammed during Passover with three or four times the normal number of people in the city as Jews from all over the land would descend to try and celebrate Jerusalem. I mean, it was even worse than Malmesbury during Womad. So the main road from Jericho up to Jerusalem would have been busier than the M5 at a bank holiday Friday afternoon. <laughs> so it's been a long, hard journey for Jesus and his disciples up until this point. And from where they are now to his destination is uphill all the way. And Jesus knows, and he's been dropping hints to his deaf disciples, that what awaits him at the end of the climb is a horrible death. So what does he do? He keeps on going. Back in Luke 9, back in April 22, it said this, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And 170 kilometres through the desert later, this is where we find him. As he nears Jerusalem. Jesus is showing no signs of wavering. He's not distracted. He's not losing his way. He keeps on going. And I think this is the first word that the Lord has for us this morning. It is keep going. Turn to your neighbour and say, keep going. Do you remember, talking to Father's Day, watching Crackerjack? Cracker Jack. On... Yes. 
when the magic word was said, crackerjack. Cracker right. So whenever I say keep going, you're going to say keep going. You get cabbages. <laughs> so keep going, keep going at work. Don't slack off or give up. No quiet quitting. Keep going, keep going. in your marriage. It takes work to make a marriage work. Don't get getting distracted with other things or other people. Keep going, keep going. in your studies. This is a season of preparation which is going to be invaluable for what comes next in your life. Keep going going. in your faith walk. It won't always make sense. You won't always feel it. But you know what? Of all of the promises God makes to us, I'm sorry to tell you, he never promises to answer the question why. What he does ask us to do is to put our faith in him as a good, good father. So keep going going. with that vision that God has given you. Though it may tarry for a while, it will come to pass. Keep Keep going In your prayers, keep pushing. Pray until something happens. Push. Keep going. If this is a word for you today, write it down and listen to what God is saying to you. Whatever it is, that thing that has come to mind, whatever you were thinking about giving up, God's word to you this morning is, keep going. As Paul sort of said in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up and keep going. Keep going! The thing is, we can make it difficult for ourselves. We can make it harder to keep going. Keep going! We can make the going harder because of the rubbish that we are carrying with us. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and that sin which clings so closely so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted and keep going. Keep going. So lay aside that weight of sin which drags you down and distracts you. That thing the Lord is bringing into mind right now. It's time to cast it aside. It's time to stop flirting and finish what God has set before you. Or as Yoda might ask, Really finish what he begins. Right, and I need to keep going because it's. <laughs> it's taken 10 minutes when you've done the first verse. Right. Um, the Lord has need of it. Verse 29. When they drew near to Bethphage, the village, and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt, the baby donkey, which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks why you're untying it, you should say the Lord has need of it. I just love this little detail because it's, it's, a, it's a glimpse into the divine planning that's going on in the background. Yeah, That cult, that young donkey, is in the right place at the right time when Jesus needed it and Jesus knew about it. Do you think he ran ahead in the night into the village and sorted it out with the folks? No. God is dealing 
with his people and he's planning stuff in the background, even when we can't see it. God is in control. God is in control. Verse 32, so those who were sent went away and they found it just as Jesus had told them. Go figure. And as they were untying the colt, his owner said to them, why are you untying our colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And just like that, they walk off with a donkey and no one objects. So, so two things kind of spring to mind right here. First, that there were more people who were followers of Jesus than those in the crowd. Yeah, because they knew who the Lord was who had need of it. Yeah? They, the, the, the owners of the cult knew what was going on and were happy to yield it over to Jesus. They were ready to serve the Lord. And secondly, I was kind of wondering how I would react in the same situation. I mean, a, a cult is a pretty valuable thing. It's a working animal, okay? It had owners. It needed a consortium of people to own this expensive donkey. It wasn't owners, it was owners, right? And in, from their perspective, a pair of grimy strangers walk up. A couple of blokes who just walked 170 miles through the desert with no showers, no premier inns along the way. Right? They were dirty, they were smelly, and they start untying the colt and walking off with it. It's kind of the modern equivalent of two hobos walking up to your car and starting trying to jimmy the door open. And you go, hey, what are you doing? Say, Don't worry, mate, Jesus needs to borrow your wheels. <laughs> How would you react, right? How would you react if you woke up in the morning and Steve says to Michelle over the cornflakes, Michelle, I had a dream last night and a couple of hobos are going to wake up and want to borrow your Fiat 500. <laughs> right? How would you react? But this idea of giving things up for God has been a recurring theme for the last couple of weeks. Have you noticed? First, we had the rich young ruler who Jesus challenged to give up his wealth because it was getting in the way of his relationship with God. But also because he could do a lot of good with it that it wasn't being done. Jesus told him what to do with the money to give it to the poor. right? Not use it to buy some new gold cladding for the temple. He said, do something practical with it. Give it to the poor. The Lord had need of his money to feed the hungry and to shelter the homeless. Then a few weeks ago, we encountered Zacchaeus. And this time, without needing to be told, what does Zacchaeus do? He gives up his wealth to pay restitution to all the people that he'd wronged. Those victims of injustice, those victims of fraud, crying out to God for help. The Lord had need of Zacchaeus, his ill-gotten gains, to be returned to their rightful owners. And today, Jesus had need of a cult because he was going to make a prophetic statement. He wasn't tired. You know, his Dr. Schultz weren't falling apart. He said, oh, I could do with the rest. Jesus needed to make a prophetic statement. The king was required to enter Jerusalem on a cult. Because hundreds of years before, the prophet Zechariah wrote this in chapter 9 of the Zechariah scroll. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, because your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. He's humble and he's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Lord has need of it. So what do we have? What do you have that the Lord has need of? What do you have that the Lord needs? Now, when I say the Lord needs it, that doesn't mean that the Lord is lacking in something. He's, he's not unable to meet his own needs. You know, the God that I believe in isn't short of cash, mister, as Bono once said. 
God chooses to work with us. He chooses to work with and through his creation. He's given us stewardship over things. And that means everything that we have, we are but temporary custodians of. It belongs to God and we're looking after it for a while. And so the challenge is, can we be trusted to give it back or use it in the way the owner asks? So what really God needs is our faithful obedience as we're being stewards of his possessions. But the question remains, what do you have? What do I have that the Lord needs? What has he given you to look after? And now is the right time to put it to a specific use. Have you got a donkey in your back garden? Probably not. But maybe there's a car in the garage or a painting on the wall or an empty day in the diary every week or a book on the shelf or cash in the bank. A talent that God has given you that needs to be put to use for kingdom purposes. How will you answer the challenge? The Lord needs it. So the disciples take the colt that the Lord had needs of. And they lay their cloaks upon its back to make like a, a soft saddle. And Jesus rides up this busy main road, rising up into the mountain to the outskirts of Jerusalem. And the crowds gather and the word starts to spread. Here comes the king. He's riding on a donkey, just like that prophecy about the king that will come. The crowd starts to buzz and they cheer when they see Jesus. The crowd of disciples have been travelling with him along this road. They begin to shout and praise God. They break off sticks from palm trees and wave them like flags. They throw them down in the street or they lay their cloaks in the street for Jesus to ride over. Verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they'd seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered them and he said, Look, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If the crowd stopped praising, the very stones would cry out. Do you ever feel like that when you've got a, you've got a praise on the inside and it just, just needs to come out? Maybe it just comes out as a smile. Maybe it's a prayer, maybe it's a song, maybe it's a cheeky little dance in the office. See, one of the advantages of working from home is that the only person seated doing a little cheeky praise dance is the dog. Unless you forget the camera's on in the Zoom meeting. <laughs> it's like that Chris, Chris Tomlin song, yeah? How can I keep from singing your praise? Jesus deserves our praise and worship. I mean, to not praise him is just wrong. And that's the reaction of the stones. Jesus isn't saying the stones want to join in the praise song. Yeah, elsewhere, the Bible does talk about creation praising God. But in this context, it's a bit different because stones crying out only occurs one other place in the Bible. It's in Habakkuk chapter 2, and it says, for the stones will cry out from the wall. But the context in Habakkuk is of evil and injustice and things that were going on in the, in the, in the city and the country that were very wrong. So Jesus is saying that if his disciples stopped praising God, it would be very wrong, because it's very wrongness that causes the stones to cry out. Is that how we feel about praising God? That not doing it 
is really wrong. So we just have to. Does our praise kind of well up on the inside and, and spill out every day? Is it something that only happens on a Sunday morning? Or is it part of our everyday routine and life that we live? Do, do we praise God for the sunrise and the cornflakes? Do we praise him for the parking space and the pay packet? Do we praise him that his mercies are new every morning? So, you know what, no matter how much we messed up yesterday, today is a new day. And above all, we should praise him for his loving sacrifice and for his forgiveness and for his friendship. Now, Paul gives us a model for living this kind of life in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So God's challenge and encouragement for us this morning is simply these three things. First of all, to keep going with faith and perseverance in all that God has called you to do and to be, casting off any sin that is holding you back and slowing you down. To give to the Lord all that he asks for, holding nothing back, being generous with God with all he has generously given you and to keep praising, to realise that to not praise God every day is just plain wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. It's a word of encouragement, a word of challenge. May our faith and perseverance grow so that we will always keep going and never give up. Remind us in the moment that we do not face any temptation which is more than we can handle and you always provide an escape route. May we be good and faithful servants of all you have granted us care over, never keeping for ourselves what you have designed to go to someone else. And may your praise be ever on our lips. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace.